Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have the absolute privilege of talking to Mr. Sylvester Boyd, a person who has distinguished himself with many things. He has worn many hats in his life. He has been a Hollywood actor. He has been a person that has worked in many different industries. But most recently, he has written three books and is on his fourth book, all on his aunt in the Mississippi. And if you've watched uh, Women of the Movement, uh, um, a show about the things that happened in Mississippi, uh, Mr. Boyd's family is intimately entwined with those issues. Is that not right, Mr. Boyd? You're absolutely correct. Okay. Uh, my family... Uh was definitely from the town that the story was about. That town was not portrayed in a very nice light by what what went on. I suspect it was not a very nice town. Well, it's like the southern U.S. in the early part of the century. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things that weren't very nice. Uh, the institution of slavery, and it was just after the institution of slavery around the the turn of World War One is where my book picks up, and it talks about uh, how the people were treated at that point in time. And, it, and it, but the book also talks about the good times in the, in the South because it's not all was not all brutality. It was not all uh, let's say atrocious. Uh, they were they had picnics in the South. They had uh, jute joints that they went to, and there there were. Uh, they had field days where people raced one t one group would race against another one, and they would have big dinners. So uh, the, the people who were oppressed had their way of uh, kind of enjoying uh, the, not the oppressive condition, but the best they could do under the conditions they were. Yeah, I, and you know, one thing that I've found is is despite all this, there are many good people who endured that and also rose above it to a certain extent and were able to develop families and values and develop a better lifestyle. Well, a lot of things that uh, happened during that period of time, I think made people more resilient. They became more self-reliant in a way. Uh, they did to go around the abominable conditions they were exposed to. They were able to, create a cuisine that's strictly Southern U.S. Uh, cooking. Uh, they were able to invent things like jazz and blues in, in the Mississippi Delta, in that area of the country. Uh, they were in, able to uh, dress slightly different from everybody else. Uh, so there was, there was, that came out of that, out of all evil comes some good. And yeah. uh, so to this day, we, we have jazz. And we have soul food, and we have many of the, the contributions that were created 
in things that were created during that period of time. Yeah. And, and also many black people moved further north as a result of it and settled in Chicago like you did and settled in Minneapolis like they did and, and moved to a, a land that was more hospitable as well. Well, historically, uh, you know, they call it the great, the period of great migration where the people who were in the South, they had two migrations, one in the early part of the 19th century, and then one in the 40s, 30s and 40s. And uh, basically what happened is, is uh, if you treated not too well, uh, if you were treated uh, less than what you should be, you move away from that condition if it's all possible. So uh, most Blacks that were in the South uh, during that time weren't treated very well, and a lot of them left. Not all of them left, but a lot of them left, and they migrated to cities in the North and also the South. I mean, uh, into the West, excuse me, like California. Some went to California, Chicago, St. Louis, all the way up and down. And uh, there was the Illinois Central Line that uh, my folks came north on in 1937. My aunt came to Chicago. Who the story the story is based on. The first book is found in the South. The second book in my series is in the North. And uh, that started to tell the story of her being in Chicago. Uh, she was she became a millionaire. She came from the cotton field. She picked cotton uh, in the first book. That's what she was doing. And the, and, uh, the transition into the second book was the Great Migration. So my book moved forward with them into Chicago. She was able to acquire a lot of property. And the reason she was able to acquire the properties is that her husband looked white. He was African-American, but uh, very, very light-complected African-American. His, his uh, father was a white man. His mother was a very uh, light-complected African-American woman, Negro woman at the time. And so, therefore, he, he, he acquired property. Unfortunately, I knew him in my life. As a matter of fact, I took him uh, on his deathbed. Uh, he, he passed away in the year 1955. Uh, that was the same year that the Emmett Till murder took place in, in uh, Money, Mississippi. So there's a lot of linkage between my family and my story and the story that uh, was told in the book. Uh, he acquired properties apartment building. He had a couple of apartment buildings. And when, upon his death, the property accrued to my aunt, which gave her a leg up, uh, so to speak, on what most African, an African-American woman owning apartment buildings in that date and time was just something that's unheard of. Uh, because African-Americans had to go through restrictive covenants. And there were things built into law to keep them from obtaining property. In uh, places where what they call red land, and there was there was a whole lot of things that made them not be able to accrue property or to obtain any massive t- type of wealth. Uh, so that was during the period too of the uh, thing in Oklahoma, you know, the Tulsa situation. So she came through that. The Great Depression is mentioned in the book, and uh, I try to keep the history. Because history, there's only one history, believe it or not, uh, in America. American history is uh, everybody's history. The African-American history, the Mexican-American, the Native indigenous people, they all contributed to America. So when you segment it, uh, African-American history is just part of the story of America. So that's why I kind of took it that way. And I, I talked about 
the, in the third book, uh, we talk about she came to Chicago in the Great Migration. Uh, then she got a job uh, doing World War II. There were there were plenty of jobs. There was a World War, and they needed the labor of everybody at that point in time. And the jobs paid a lot more than picking cotton in the South. So uh, there she was able to advance a little bit more. And not only that, during World War II, she was Rosie the Riveter, which, uh, you know, we always hold up Rosie the Riveter. But some Rosie the Rivers were not uh, European. Some Rosie the Riveters helped in the defense of our country were African-Americans and Indian-Americans and Mexican-Americans. So the story that we see a lot of times is not the story that really was. And uh, I, always, I wanted to bring that to, to the book. I wanted to bring the, the the music of the different times, you know, jazz age. And then you go into hip hop and bebop and all the different dances of the time. World War II, the music is in there. Different songs that were sung during those various different periods in the book. So I try to make it a historical uh, book because I have history and geography degrees. So that was my background. So I kept history there. I also tried to deal with, you know, like streetcars and, and started out with a horse and buggy down south, uh, a mule-drawn horse, uh, excuse me, a mule-drawn cart uh, coming into Money, Mississippi. So it starts out from that. And in the last book, we go to the jet age. She actually ended up walking on the, in the fourth book, which I'm working on now, she actually ended up walking on the Great Wall of China. She went to Vietnam, Singapore. And uh, Haiti, she traveled quite extensively, which I've been fortunate enough to do also. Well, that is wonderful. And I'm so glad that you've broadened your horizons by traveling around the world, because nothing helps more to understand the world better than to see different people and different things in it. Uh, one thing I, I notice as I travel is as I traveled, it's helped me to understand the world better and to realize that, you know, we are not the center of the universe. We are not uh, the only thing that matters. And if if you look at other cultures and other things, I think that really matters a lot in, in understanding the world and, and where the world is. Well, it does. It, it definitely. Uh, I've been from Denmark to to uh, Honolulu, and from Honolulu to Venezuela, and all most of the islands in the Caribbean. And uh, I'm not going to allude to all the places I've been, but I've traveled. Let's say I've traveled extensively, which added up to about a little bit over half of the world. Uh, so, I mean, but when you see the perspective, and you, you get a pers- different perspective, as you say, uh, of what people are like. And uh, from my background in history and geography, I was always interested in people, places, and things. People, places, and things, I've always been interested in that. Uh, I've always wanted to see uh, how we relate to one another. There's nothing on planet Earth that is not connected to something else on planet Earth. Uh, even the, the water that you drink in a faucet, if it, if it disappeared, you'd find out quickly you were connected to it. Uh, your food supply. We're connected to every. Everyone is connected to the next person. We don't act that way because we sometimes we disrespect other people and what they contribute and maximize another group of people who uh, maybe unduly uh, sometimes are 
put on sort of a, a, a upbeat and given uh, image that is not deserved all the time. So that's sort of the, the history is, is in geography are magnificent subjects. And I think that's why in, in America, and I'm here in Canada, but in America, history is not revealed as it should be. It's not, a, a you know, mathematics and coding and doing computer sciences and all that. That's uphill. But uh, you don't need computer science if you can't get along with your next, your fellow man. The, the, the wars and, and the tragedies of man come from history, comes from relate, your relationship with your fellow man, not what a computer did yesterday. So, and, be, and believe it or not, computers have only been here for like 25 or 30 years. Now we can't live without them. And I think that's one of the mistakes that we make because there's also a downside to all technology. And I think we look at the upside all the time and how convenient a thing is, but you better look behind that curtain and see what's after you get the, the benefit of a thing sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's important. And, and, you know, the thing I realize also as I've traveled the world is racism dealing with our fellow man is not unique to any particular country. It is something that has happened forever and it has been a a scourge on the face of the earth as as one group of people have tried to dominate over another group of people well you know that brings me to maybe my next book i'm going to talk about the things that divide us Uh, they're always the same their sex their religion their race there's money they, they always are the same. It's about seven, eight culprits, I call them. And they pretty much are what divided us from the beginning of time to this day right here. So when you, when you can enumerate them and see them, they become very clear what is causing man the problems that we have. Uh, disregard, disrespect for your fellow man. Those are all the things that state universally. And it's not just in America. Uh, like I said, I've traveled extensively and I find uh, to, to the same problems wherever you go, but maybe in different degrees and in different forms, different places. Yeah, and I think it's it's the the world could be better if we were better to our fellow man, and I think we could rise to a new level in this year twenty twenty two and beyond if we allowed ourselves to be better to our fellow man. Well. We have something that tells us how to do that, but we don't follow it, of course. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, don't do something to me that you wouldn't want done to you because of where I was born or how, what education I have or what gender I was born into or what complexion of skin I was born into. You should not, you should treat me with respect as a fellow human being traveling on the same planet in the same universe at the same time. Yes, the way I see it. I mean, maybe I'm a little out there, but that's the way I see it. Well, um, and, and I think that's right. I, I think that's right, uh, sir. I think that's, that's the way it should be. You know, color shouldn't matter. Intelligence shouldn't matter. Uh, money shouldn't matter. It should be respect for a human being. That you come first. All else yes. come. When they say, well, what race are you? I'm a member of the human race. Then everything is secondary to that. Then my color, my skin, my religion, all this is secondary to the fact 
that I'm a member of the human race first. And as everyone who is a member of the universe, universe should be respected and a member of our society or any society should be respected as a human being. Because we all, here's the thing that I always say, we all do the same thing. There's no difference. We are born, we all live, we all die. Nobody's escapes that pattern. I don't care who you are, where you're from, and how much knowledge you got and how much money. You're born, you live, you die. Exactly. It's a great cycle, a great circle we go through, and then it starts all over again. You know, for everybody that dies, there's somebody that's born. Correct. And the whole process repeats itself. And then that, if you think that way, why should I make, here's, here's another thing that makes racism sort of foolish or sexism. Nobody first of all picks their parent. I didn't pick mine and you didn't pick yours and nobody else on earth picks their parent. You wake up and you, you open your mouth and you take a breath of air and you're here. So why should I make a fellow human being feel bad about the way they came in the world, the way, what the condition where they came from or what gender they were? Uh, where they were born, you know, who they were born to. But somehow man takes the good that we're all equal when we come in here. There's nobody that comes in this world unequal. I don't care whether you're born to a billionaire or you're born to the, uh, a guy on the street corner. There's nobody that doesn't, that comes in this world unequal. The unequal equality starts at the moment that people start to say who you are and what you are. And uh, where you were born makes a difference in what skin color or what gender you were born into or, or, you know, what neighborhood you live in. All those things are man overlayers on what should be uh, a, a society that is a world that is more equal. But because the unequality comes because man feels that we have to make distinctions between groups. We have to say, okay, you're rich, so therefore you are kind of put up on the low. Oh, you're a man? Oh, so you're a little higher than a woman. Or you, so we do all these things to ourselves. And that goes in when you do it to people, then people make up countries and people make families and families make uh, communities and communities make countries and countries. And so it goes on. So everything that we do as individuals is transmitted into uh, who a nation becomes and what the world becomes. If uh, we miss, if we dump something in the water, uh, let's say Japan had uh, the meltdown, the oceans are full of radioactivity from some of that because it travels around the world. Uh, it doesn't stop at borders. Those, those are man-made barriers. So when you think about it, man is his own worst enemies in many ways. Uh we have a, pl- a planet that we, we're poisoning ourselves gradually. So, I mean, the things that we do always come back to haunt us later. Uh, there's nothing that you can do today or your family did years ago that does not have a, a bearing on where the earth is uh, the years later in the future. If we, if we poison the water today, our grand great-grandkids will be probably having some of the toxicity still to deal with. And and I think that is something we have to get to grips of. I mean, plastic is polluting the world. Garbage is polluting the world. Uh, toxicity from carbon is polluting the world, causing global warming and causing 
the temperatures to arise in certain areas now to levels that are unsustainable? Well, the question is, will we be the dominant uh, species on Earth 100 years from now? Will we get it? And uh, this pandemic has uh, is a time that I never thought I'd live through. I read about the one uh, at the turn of the century in the 1919, 1917, 18 era. Uh, I never thought I'd see that. I read about it in the history books and thought I would never be here to see that. But uh, the world has a way of sometimes being something you thought it never would be. Uh, we uh, also need to look at how we interact with technology. Technology can, just like anything else, can be good use of good or evil. So, you know, but we don't think about the downside. We don't think of the upside. We don't realize that we our personal information, which was never tracked or put from one person to another very readily. Uh, now it's very readily tracked uh, by whoever wants to track it, whether it be uh, your neighbor, you know, uh, or the government or whatever. So there's a lot of downside. A long time ago, you couldn't have someone hack into your bank account before a computer. That's a downside of the technology. That's another book I thought I, I got a million books. I don't think I'll be here to write all one, but Downside of Technology. That's a, that's a book that I really want to get into, get into the, the downs. We, t- we know the ups, but there's a lot of downs. By the time you're finished, sir, you're probably going to have a dozen books or maybe two dozen books if you have enough time. <laughs> yeah, if, if life doesn't run out on me, I won't run out on it. you've got enough topics to write on the question is whether you have enough time to do it all that's that's the whole thing at my age maybe not but you know here again i like to impart what i know because it it doesn't do you no good from the other side uh while you're here impart as much knowledge on your fellow human being as possible if you have it give it away you can't take it with you it's like money uh, money is, uh, you know, something that I haven't seen anybody being buried in a hundred dollar bills or whatever the currency is in your country. So, you know, there's people who have uh, counts down in the Cayman Islands and uh, billionaires. To me, there should never be a billionaire. There should, I mean, there should be a cap on what an individual can make. Uh, that, you know, but in a capitalist society, uh, sky's the limit and there's no limits on what you could do. I'm not saying you couldn't make more than that, but you would have to be giving it to taxes or to benefit mankind. You couldn't put it in a, in a, in a Cayman Islands or some of the other offshore places and just stack it up. That it's not that the world does not provide enough for everybody. It's that it's unbalanced. It's un, it's not distributed properly. One person's got $20 billion. The next person is starving in the, the bad in a, in a, in a, or out in the cold, homeless. So we have enough to feed, clothe, and shelter all our people in America, and I'm sure you do in Canada too. But it's the fact that some people got way more than they'll ever need to use, and other people have nothing. Uh, I'm not saying everybody will always have enough money, but some should not have nearly as what they as much as they do have, and other people should have a little bit more than what they have. I'm a big fan of of Warren Buffett, who is one of the richest men in in certainly in, in America, if not the world. And his philosophy is to give it all back, no matter how much he's made. 
he, other than what he's giving his family, he's giving it all back to society. So that is, a, to my mind, a, a valiant thing to do. It's something that some of these rich people should do. You know, well, they shouldn't be allowed to. What it is, when government let big people, big corporations or whatever it is, become the leading institution where you get your information from or they can control what you do in America. I don't believe the president controls. I think big business controls in America. Uh, they're the dominant force here. And uh, the fact that you've got to, when you get to run for office, you have to have a big war chest, as they call it, a big amount of money. You have to go to the donor. Well, if you go to the donor, the donor wants something in return for his donation, especially if he's giving you millions. And so, you, therefore, you start to corrupt your government at that point in time. I mean, that's just my philosophy of it, but it, it seemed to be very, I said years ago, when they, in America, when they allowed the big companies to keep merging with one another, that you don't have a few com- com- uh, companies which would control what we do as a society. We're almost at that point right now. Yeah, that that, that is uh, fascism when too much power is in certain groups. Sir? How can people get a copy of your book and what is the names of the books you've written? Well, the name of the book is a series and it all has the same name, The Road for Money. And you can go to my website, boydbooks.net, boydbooks, B-O-O-K-S dot net. And, uh, you know, you'll see how to order the book. All the information is, is there. And, uh, you know, I'll be glad to uh, make sure you get a copy of it sent out to you right away. Thank you, sir. Thank you for sharing the time with us today. And thank you for sharing your views on history and the world. Thank you for having me. Have a fantastic day. You do also. Bye Bye for now. Ladies Ladies and gentlemen, I hope to talk to you soon. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day.